Well, again, it's great to be with you uh, this afternoon. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 2. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry, we're going to put the words up uh, on the screen. Mark chapter 2, and our theme today is whatever it takes. That's what we're going to be going to be looking at. So Mark chapter 2, and starting from verse 1. There there we read, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned him within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, um, for this testimony that we have of these uh, four fine faithful friends, Father. And we pray, Lord, that this morning uh, we, would look, uh, we would look to Jesus with the same eyes of the people in that house that they've never seen anyone like this before, Father. That Jesus is special, that Jesus is the unique, that he is the son of man, he is the son of God, he is the one with the power to save. Father, we pray, Lord, you'll take these words and you'll um, uh, send your spirit here, Father, uh, so that we will know who Christ is. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So our theme this morning is whatever it takes. If you go on to the uh, Royal Marine Commando website, which I regularly go on to, uh, not really, uh, but if you go onto that website, what you see on the banner is you see this slogan, whatever it takes. And this is what the Royal Marine Commandos say to each other as they go into the situation. It doesn't matter what it takes, we are going to do whatever in order to accomplish our goals. And I want to think this morning uh, about some soldiers. Uh, And I want to think specifically about soldiers who fought in this great battle of Gallipoli. I doubt I've pronounced that right, uh, but that's how we'll be pronouncing it this morning. If you don't know about Gallipoli, it's a battle that was fought in April 1915 during the First World War. It was fought in Turkey and the British Empire sent mainly Australian and New Zealand troops to fight on the front of this great battle. The Australians and the New Zealanders were relatively newly formed nations, hadn't had a lot of battle experience, so this is their first great battle, and in fact the day that they landed there, 25th of April 1915, is still recognised as a national holiday in, uh, in Australia. And in Gallipoli, the soldiers there were known as the Anzac Diggers. Anzac stands for Australia and New Zealand Army Chappies. Uh, and diggers 
is the term of endearment that they used to use with each other as they were fighting that great battle. It was a battle that was very, very unlikely that they were going to win. And Winston Churchill, who sent them there, knew at the beginning that it was an almost impossible battle, but it was a battle that he felt was worth fighting. And so he sent these troops to fight against the Turks and the, and the Germans on that war front in uh, Turkey. And they spent all of their days digging trenches and fighting. And they, because this was their, their first great war, they came up with this term of endearment, which was diggers. They would just be digging all day. They would be digging in. They would be fighting this war. And even today in Australia, if you say diggers, well, it means friend. It means companion. It means someone that's going to stand next to you. The diggers were known for three main things. The diggers always helped out a friend who needed a hand. The diggers had a never give up attitude. And the diggers didn't worry about what everyone else thought. They didn't care about the people around about them. They cared about their friends. And they cared about what they'd been sent to do. And they were going to work as hard as they could. And do whatever they took in order to accomplish that goal. Even if it meant losing their lives. This is what the diggers were known for. And when we think about diggers in the Bible. Well we come to the passage that we've just read. Sometimes these four friends that we've read about. Are referred to as the roof diggers. Digging into this roof in order to bring their friend to Jesus. And in Mark chapter 2, we read about the very early parts of Jesus' ministry. He's been out for the first time performing miracles, and he's came back to Capernaum, where he is recently called, which he's recently called his home. This is where he has set up his headquarters for his ministry. There's not, an, an more, an, there's not a more unlikely place for Jesus, the Son of God, to set up a ministry than Capernaum. It was surrounded by sinners. It was where people went to, for debauchery. It was where people went for a good time. It was where people went to have holidays and to get drunk and to go home again. It wasn't a particularly well respected city and this is where Jesus made his home. He made his home with sinners. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus was alive today whether most Christians would even want to be around him because he'd be surrounded with sinners. He'd be surrounded by people that society would perhaps call the worst of the worst. That's where Jesus felt most comfortable. That's where Jesus was sent to. That's where Jesus had his ministry. And as Christians, that's where we should be most comfortable as well. Around about those who need our help. Jesus didn't come for the righteous. He came for the sick. And we should have the same mission as Jesus Christ. So we should find ourselves surrounded by sinners as well. Jesus has just been out performing miracles for the first time. And he returns home. He's probably exhausted. If you've ever done ministry for more than a few days in a row, if you've went away to perhaps a, a weekend's residential or you've went to a camp, you'll know that ministry over a long, prolonged period of time is exhausting. It takes a lot, a lot out of you when people are, are always coming up to you. Jesus will be exhausted and he returns home. When you're exhausted and you return home, what do you want to do? You want to sit in, sit, sit on the couch, put on the TV, Put on Netflix, whatever, read a book, just just sit and switch off. Jesus comes home. He didn't have Netflix, but he but he cut, but he comes home, and surely he just wants time to himself. He just wants time to recover. But people start coming to the door. People start wanting to hear what Jesus has to say. So he opens up the door and he invites people in. He didn't hide like I maybe would behind the couch, switch the lights off. He didn't do that. 
he invited people into his house and so many people came that his house was full. He had compassion on anyone who came to him. He saw their great need and he was wanting to meet that need. Then we read that the four fine friends came bringing to him a paralytic man. This paralytic man, he had, he had no quality of life. He couldn't move. He didn't have any freedom. He was trapped wherever he was placed. He couldn't do things for himself. He had very little in his life. But he had four fine, faithful friends. He had four friends who were willing to put themselves out in order to serve him. And in verse 4 we read about these four friends when they couldn't get their paralytic friend near Jesus because of the crowd they removed the roof above him and when they had made an opening they let down on the bed the bed on which the paralytic lay they weren't just four fine faithful friends but they were diggers they had that same attitude that we've read about in Gallipoli they were going to help a friend who needed a hand. They were, going, they were never going to give up. It didn't matter that the house was full. It didn't matter that they couldn't get near Jesus. They were going to find a way, even if it went putting a hole in someone's roof. Now you just imagine that for a second. If someone came along and put a hole in your roof, how happy would you be? Sometimes we don't think about the practicalities. Of, this is somebody's house and they're ripping a hole in it. This is how passionate these friends, this is the, the, the goal that these friends had. This is what these friends were willing to do in order to get their friend near Jesus. We're just going to take the roof off. We're just going to do that and put our friend next to Jesus. And they were willing to pay the cost. Somebody had to fix this roof. Somebody had to fix it. I'm sure these four friends were willing to pay the cost and to make the sacrifice to bring their friend to Jesus. They didn't care what anyone else thought. They were never going to give up. They were always going to friend, help their friend in need. I wonder what we're willing to give up to bring our friends to Jesus. I wonder what the cost and sacrifice is that we are willing to make. Quite often, the only sacrifice that we are willing to make is to waste a conversation. There's very little that we have to give up in order to preach the gospel to our friends, but yet we don't do it. We are scared that they'll look down on us. We're scared that they'll think we're crazy. We're scared that we'll lose our friendship. We're scared that we'll lose respect. And so we don't share the gospel. These four friends were willing to take a roof off to bring their friend to Jesus. What are we willing to do? Are we willing to pay a price? Because if we don't, well really they're not our friends. We don't really love them. We don't really care about them. If there are people in our lives who we are willing to see go to hell, how much can we really care about them if we don't share the message of salvation with them? There are people in my life, friends that I have. I have family members. And I can't think of the last time I shared the gospel with them. And I'm sure there will be people in your life that are the same. When we read about these four friends and how much they were willing to do, surely that energizes us. Surely that gives us a sense of what Jesus has called us to do for the people around about us in our life. I wonder if we've got the faith that Jesus can transform the lives of our friends and our family members. 
I wonder if we really believe that Jesus wants to and can save them. These friends had faith. It's the thing that Jesus identifies in them. In verse 5 we read, when Jesus sees their faith, he says to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. These friends were convinced if anyone could heal this man, it was Jesus. They knew that Jesus wasn't just a magician, wasn't just someone that was a little bit different. They knew this was the Son of Man, and they were going to bring their friend to him no matter what. And so their faith brings their friend to Jesus. And Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Do you think that's what the man wanted? Do you think that's what he came for? To have his sins forgiven? Would he have been happy if he was carried out of that house with his sins forgiven and still unable to walk? Well, we don't really know. We don't really know. But we know that he had faith. And we know that faith leads to forgiveness. It is by faith we are forgiven of our sins. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. Faith is the key. Faith is what is important here in this story. It is the friend's faith and the paralytic man's faith as well. He's included when Jesus says, um, when Jesus saw their faith, he, he's included in that group, in that number. This paralytic man has faith in Jesus also, and because of that, his sins are forgiven. And faith is the key to our sins being forgiven as well. Faith is the key to us having a relationship with God. Faith is everything. man that I quite often listen to and read his commentaries is an American called Dr. J. Vernon McGee, and he says the only limitation to God's omnipotence is unbelief. The only thing that will stop us from grasping God's power and recognising God's power is unbelief, is a lack of faith. On Friday night there, I had a very, really crazy week last week. Um, and on Friday night, I run a youth club in my village in Madison, and we had about 20 kids turn up. And you'll know what Friday nights are like. Sometimes you just want to, we're back to Netflix, yeah, sit at home and just stay on your own and not do anything. But I knew that the youth club was on and so we went and we had this and we had 20 teenagers came up and just about an hour before the end a young person walks in that we hadn't seen for, for years, he's now 18 and he came in and he was devastated, he was, he was off his face, he'd been smoking or doing something but he had all of these questions about how God could allow the things to happen in his life that, that he had been experiencing and so we took him into the, the, the room and spoke with him for, for an hour and he was telling me about the last year of his life. And he was telling me about how he had prayed to God to take these struggles away. How he would prayed to God to help him. And he kept on saying something that was really interesting to me. He kept on saying, the Christian God. I've been praying to the Christian God. And then he mentioned all the other gods he'd been praying to. And he listed off, you know, more than a couple of dozen of gods that he'd been praying to. He had a list of them that he'd been praying, praying to. And I said to him, do you realise you've not been praying to God? The second that you call him the Christian God, he's not really God. We can only have one God. Only one God can be all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, all-creating. There can only be one person that fits that. If you are praying to the Christian God, then praying to another, then you're lacking something. Do you know what you're lacking? You're lacking faith. And if you don't have faith in God, if you don't really believe that he can take away your troubles, if you don't really believe that he can help you, then he won't. 
Because you don't believe in him. And you don't have a relationship with him. Faith is the key to everything. We tell the children, faith is the ladder by which you come to God. God is there. God is all powerful. God has done everything that you possibly need. He has done everything for you. But you need to connect. And you connect through faith. By having faith in him. If you don't have faith in God, you don't have God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. The grace has been given. The price has been paid through Jesus Christ. We need faith to bring us there. It's not your own doing. These men weren't being rewarded because they'd taken the roof off. These men weren't being rewarded because they'd climbed a ladder. These men were being rewarded because they believed Jesus could heal. And they knew Jesus could save. That is, that is uh, where the power came from. It was through their faith. But there were some scribes sitting there. This is still early in Jesus' ministry. They're still trying to figure out Jesus. They're still trying to figure out who he is and what he's saying. And when they hear Jesus say, this man's sins are forgiven, will they go off? They go off on one. How does this man speak like this? He's, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they've got a point. They've got a point. Who can forgive sins but God alone? No one. But they don't recognise that this is God who is sitting with them. That this is the Son of God. That this is the Son of Man. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They completely miss the point of all the miracles that Jesus has done before. Jesus didn't do miracles willy-nilly. He didn't do miracles for no reason. He did the miracles to show the people around about him that he was the Son of God. That he was different. That he was ushering in a new kingdom. A kingdom that wouldn't have sickness. And wouldn't have death. And wouldn't have sin. These are what the miracles are here to do. And these men hadn't got it. They still thought that this was just a gifted man. A teacher sent from God. They didn't realise that this was God sent from God. And so Jesus was going to teach them this. And Jesus says to them. Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk. Which is easier to say? Surely it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. If I have a, a, a paralytic person standing, not standing, uh, here today, and I say to him your sins are forgiven, how do you know? How do you know I haven't forgiven his sins? There's going to be no outward transformation. There's going to be nothing that you can see. But if I say to this man, get up and walk, and he does then you'll know there's something special about me you'll know there's something miraculous happening here so Jesus says which is easier your sins are forgiven or rise take up your bed and walk and Jesus showing compassion on these men says the son of man has authority on earth to forgive your sins and so that you'll know that he said to the man I say to you rise pack up your bed and go home and the man gets up and he walks, he rose immediately, he picked up his bed and he went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. The man stood, Jesus demonstrated his power over creation, his power over the health, his power over the body and he healed that man so that they would know he had the power to forgive sins. So that they would know he is the son of God. And this morning, this afternoon, I share this story from the Bible so that you will know that Jesus has the power to forgive sins. 
so that Jesus is, is the, so that you know that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is mighty to save. These friends were willing to do whatever it took. Jesus was willing to do whatever it took to save you. This power to forgive sin, it came from him going to the cross. It came from him doing, giving the ultimate sacrifice, which was his self. And he went to the cross and he died there for your sin and for mine. And it's through that act that we can have our sins forgiven today. It's through that act of grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's through that act that if we come to him in faith, we can have new life. We are just like that paralytic man. We have no life. We are dead. We have no freedom. We are trapped in our sins. And until we come to Christ and ask for his forgiveness, we will remain dead. I plead with you, if you've never taken that step, that this morning you will take that step. That you will pray to God. That you will realise that you can have life and life for eternity with God. If you put your faith in him, Jesus did whatever it took. Let me finish by telling you a story of one digger from Gallipoli. His name was Elvis Jenkins. And Elvis was a young man. He was a Methodist, um, recently, um, recently saved. He was going to go into the, into the ministry and he was sent to Gallipoli to fight on the, the, the war front. He was sent there on the first day, the 25th of April 1915, and just a few days later he found himself in the middle of a fierce battle. And he was fighting his hardest with his diggers around about, and a shell came from the the other side of the battlefield and landed a few metres away from him. exploded, and a piece of shrapnel, a little lead ball, came flying towards him and straight towards his heart, just here. And it hit him and struck him and he fell to the ground. And he was sure that was it. But then he sat up and he looked. And he saw that he hadn't been hit. What had been hit was this book. This book that had been given to all of the British Empire soldiers who were serving on the front lines. They were all given one and they all carried one. It was a New Testament and a Sands. And a little lead ball just like that went straight through the back of this book. It went all the way through Revelation It went all the way through the epistles. It went all the way through the book of Acts. And it stopped at the Gospels. It stopped at the Gospels. The Bible tells us God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And surely Elvis Jenkins would testify to that. It stopped in the life, ministry and testimony of Jesus Christ. It stopped at the Gospels. The gospel today still has the power to save. In Romans chapter 1 verse 16 we read, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. My prayer for us this morning is if we are saved that we are not ashamed of the gospel. We're not bothered about ripping roofs off, about paying costs and paying prices to bring the people around us to Jesus. I believe I, my prayer is that each and every one of us knows that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes and that we are all believers this morning. And that we believe that in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith for faith. That we will be known as a faithful people, a faithful church who place our faith not in ourselves or our abilities but in God. 
and that we are known to be righteous for the righteous shall live by faith. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had uh, today in your word. We thank you for the testimony of these four fine, faithful friends. And we pray, Lord, that we will be known to the people around about us as fine, faithful friends. That we will be willing to pay the cost um, to bring our friends and our neighbours and the people around about us that you've called us to serve, to bring them to Jesus no matter what it takes. Father, help us uh, to be unashamed of the gospel at all times. Father, help us to take the steps, to climb the ladders, to remove the tiles and to bring people to your Son. My prayer is for anyone in this room who has never taken this step of faith. Father, just speak to them through your Spirit. Just convict them, Lord, that they would know that they are like this paralytic man, that they have no life, that they are trapped in their trespasses and sin. And that through your Son and what he has done for them, they can have life in all its abundance. Father, we cling to the promises of your word. Father, we cling to everything that your son has taught us and teach, taught, taught us through your word. Help us to cling to your word, Father. Help us to cling to your Bible, knowing that it can help us through our temptations, Father. It can help us through our sins. Father, help us to come to you every day and look for your strength, not our own. Father, we pray, Lord, that you just bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.